0: Hello friends! Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Max Dickens. He's the director of improv company Hoopla, an author and a mental health advocate. Loneliness is as dangerous as smoking, and men are suffering worse than ever. This is bad for them, it's bad for their partners, it's bad for their employers, their children, and society at large. Men are struggling to toe the line between manning up and opening up, and many of them are doing neither. Expect to learn what Max learned from having no best man to choose from for his wedding, how men's loneliness differs from female loneliness, the evolutionary explanation for shallower male friendships, how being in a shed can help you bond, why contributing to a project and doing things is crucial for bonding amongst men, whether the manosphere is actually helping, and much more. Don't forget that if you're listening, you should have also got a copy of the Modern Wisdom Reading List, 100 books that you should read before you die. It's 100 of my favourite fiction and non-fiction and links to them and descriptions about why I like them. You can get your copy right now for free. Go to chriswillx.com books. That's chriswillx.com books. In other news, this episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is the best fitness tracker that I've ever found. It's a personalized digital fitness and health coach that monitors your body's physiology 24 7 via a non invasive wearable and provides you with feedback on your lifestyle, training, sleep. and recovery via an accompanying app. It doesn't just tell you what you've done, it tells you what you need to do. Crucially, Whoop is more than just a fitness tracker, it is a coach that can help you identify areas for improvement in life, reinforcing positive behaviors and helping you to alleviate habits that have a negative impact on your overall health and well-being. It'll tell you what your heart rate and caloric burning was during a workout, it'll tell you your sleep stages and how well you've slept, what you can do to impact your sleep and improve it, whether you need to recover more, whether you need to train more, whether you've still got more in the tank, It is the only fitness tracker that I've ever wanted to stick with and I've been using it for nearly four years now. Also, you can join for free. You pay nothing for the brand new Whoop 4.0 strap, plus you get your first month for free and there is a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can buy it for free, try it for free, and if you do not like it after 29 days, Whoop will give you your money back. Head to join.whoop.com slash modern wisdom. That's dot com slash modern wisdom, and they are shipping in real time to the US, Canada, EU, UAE, UK, and Australia and New Zealand. In other, other news, this episode is brought to you by Optimal Carnivore. Organ meats are some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. Our ancestors prized them so much for their vital properties that they prioritized eating them first. However, it is Very difficult to source a variety of high-quality organ meat. It is problematic to cook. It's problematic to find out where you can get good quality meat from in the first place. And the process of preparing them and trying to make them tasty can be difficult. So Optimal Carnivore started sourcing 100% grass-fed organ meats from New Zealand, freeze-drying the organs and encapsulating them into convenient bovine gelatin capsules. This means that you can take a blend of nine different organs, a powerful combination including beef liver, brain, thymus, heart, kidney, spleen, pancreas, lung, and gallbladder in one product. It'll cover your bases while you're at home or while you are traveling, and you can get a 10% discount off all of their products on Amazon by going to amazon.com slash optimal carnivore and use the code wisdomsave10 at checkout. That's amazon.com slash optimal carnivore and the code wisdomsave10 to receive 10% off everything that they make. And in final news, this episode is brought to you by Surfshark VPN. You can protect your browsing online and get access to the entire world's Netflix library for less than the price of a cup of coffee Per month. VPNs are not scary or difficult to use and Surfshark is super simple. You download the app, you press one button and it will immediately protect your browsing and it will change your location so that hackers and websites and your internet service provider and phishing stuff that is trying to steal your data, none of them can see what you're up to. On top of that you can use it across unlimited devices so you can have it on your laptop, your iPad, your phone, even on your smart TV. That's all under one membership and it means that you can access the entire world's Netflix library. You've already got a Netflix membership, so why not pay £1.59 or $1.80 a month and 10x the amount of movies and series that you've got access to. Also, they've got an 83% discount, three months free, and a 30-day money-back guarantee from Surfshark if you go to surfshark.deals slash Wisdom, That's surfshark.deals slash modernwisdom. But now... Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Max Dickens. Max Dickens, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here.
1: Did you watch Paddy Pimlet's Octagon interview this weekend? I did. Uh, Funnily enough, I I tweeted something about that today. I thought he was brilliant. And I thought it was brilliant for two reasons. Number one, the message, which was about friendship and about guys having to talk about real stuff to to kind of uh, intervene in these mental health challenges that men are having. But also, I think the messenger with men is really important. So there's a lot of messengers that I think men just tune out but an absolute animal, like Faddy the Baddy saying this stuff. I think a lot of men are going to buy into it. So I was delighted and I thought he was brilliant.
0: Yeah, it's uh, for the people that didn't see it, Paddy is a UFC fighter, currently up and coming. People drawing some uh, similarities between him and Conor McGregor. Quite outspoken. He's scouse, which means that he's yeah. from Liverpool. If you don't know where that is, uh, very, very strong accent, s- swears a lot, very much a laddie lad, gets very fat in between fights. And at the end of this victory that he had, uh, he said that his friend had taken his own life on f- what must have been Thursday night. And I think he weighed in on Friday morning. So he woke up at 4 a.m. on the morning of his weigh in. So this is 36 hours before he's about to fight to find out that one of his own friends has taken his life. And he got the the text or whatever, the alert somehow from one of the family members uh, and then used his opportunity to speak in the octagon about how men need to speak up. Uh, you know, I would much sooner take a phone call from a friend that was crying than attend his funeral. He was mm. beautifully done, man. So spectacularly yeah. done.
1: Yeah, and in the, he did, I watched the post-match he did on ESPN as well, and he went into a bit more detail. And He was talking about how, I think this is a Scouse word, but he said, the thing about women is they can have a gab, he said. They can have a gab with their mates over a cup of tea. And they, he said they don't stop talking. But he said with blokes, if you try to talk about certain stuff, I think the line he, he said is like, what are you doing, lad? Grow up. And I thought that was – we've all been in conversations, maybe when we were a bit younger, where similar sort of phrase has been used. And, yeah, I mean, it's great that some of such profile is talking about it. But in, in, in language that normal people use, you know what I mean?
0: I find it interesting at the moment because there's sort of two worlds that are colliding at the same time when it comes to talking about men and mental health. One Mm. of them is stop being such a victim, you know, get hold of your bootstraps, pick yourself up, carry the weight, you know, uh, re embrace traditional masculine roles and archetypes, the Jocko, Goggins, Jordan Peterson style of things, but also the kind of reassuring men you just need to do some stuff that's going to make you feel good and reconnect with your masculine purpose. That is so close to the line of just man up, stop being such a pussy. The, yeah. the next conversation, which is men need to open up about their emotions. Men can be sad too. It's important that if you are feeling down as a guy that you open up to people. And it's not just enough to treat male depression or sadness in the same way that female depression gets treated by making yeah. them feel like they belong. They need to feel like they're worth something. They need to feel like they have purpose and meaning and capability. And those two worlds of men being told to man up, which has its uses, and men also being told to open up, yeah. That is a really difficult uh, line to pass.
1: I think it is. I spoke to a psychologist called Fred Rabinovitz at the U- University of Redlands in California and he's a poker player semi-pro, plays golf as well as running men's groups being a therapist. So he's got both sides to it, right? Almost like what you kind of what you're explaining. And he put it to me in a way that seemed just really sort of simple, which is you need to have a expand your toolbox. So as long as you've got tools for different conversations, that's fine. You don't only have to be one way. You don't have to be new age mush all the time, because I think a lot of men switch off to that. and I know I certainly did. But also um, there are some times where if you want to go through the gears in a conversation, to mix my metaphors, you do have to have other tools. You know, sometimes in life you've got to have a conversation about something big, and you've got to show up a bit different to that than if you're in the pub and you're having – having some fun with your mates. I I think it doesn't have to be as complex as maybe we think it is, but I completely agree with you. Those two worldviews that are kind of rubbing up against each other, but maybe they're more complementary than both sides reckon.
0: I think a lot of it is to do with expectation because manning up and opening up, it takes a lot of courage and bravery, which are typically masculine traits, in order to open up in any case. But it's more about sort of like cultural stereotypes, what is it, what does it mean to be a man, things like that. So going back, what got you starting to think about men's friendships in the first
1: place? So um, just pure necessity. I didn't really realise I had a problem with my friendships until I was, I was I was planning on proposing to my girlfriend, and I literally went as far as being in a shop in Hatton Garden, which is a jeweller's district in London. I went with a, a female pal for sort of moral and aesthetic support because I don't know what I'm doing obviously and afterwards having shopped she said to me in the pub so who are you going to have as best man and I sort of palmed her off and thought oh my mum's gone blank I just I'll be fine I'll just it will come to me in a moment and I went back that night and I made a list of my male friends and I looked down the list and I realized I worked with most of them and they'd find it really weird if I asked them to be best man and the rest of them I maybe hadn't had any meaningful contact with them for two, three years. And I just thought, oh my God, where have all my friends gone? And then I Googled the phrase, getting married, no best man. And there was something like 950 million results. And if you click on them, a lot of them are wedding website forums and blokes saying, I'm really worried. I'm getting, I'm I'm tying the knot. I've got no one. People giving them terrible advice, like, why don't you use your dog? (laughs) awful, awful tips. And I realized that A lot of other guys were in this position. And when I looked into the research, I discovered that men, since the 1970s, social scientists have looked at the data. And when they're measuring this stuff, men have had less friends than women, and especially less close friends. And I'm sure we'll get into what that means to have a close friend. And also what was interesting, the second problem men seem to have, is that this gets worse as they get older. So men have bigger social groups than women in their mid 20s, get to your mid 40s, that's flipped on its head. So sociologists call it network shrinkage, very boring term, something pretty simple. Our mates seem to disappear, whereas women are better at maintaining and probably developing new friendships. So I thought that was interesting. So why is that? And I tried to work out the reasons so I could solve my friendship problem, get a best man, but also kind of go, this is a question it's curious, right? Because we're always told that men have it best, but in this case, they don't. So what's the reason why? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, talking about, Different
0: inequalities that you've got in the world. There seems to be a, a friendship inequality that's going on here that's pretty stark, and that is upstream from the suicide inequality that you see as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, they're connected. So uh, if you look at male mental health, we, we as you say, Paddy, the baddie's talking about it. Biggest killer of men under the age of forty-five, uh, certainly in the UK. And the Samaritans, who look into this stuff, do studies. They say one of the biggest causes of male suicide is a lack of social support than the fact that men are isolated don't have people to talk to there's what's called a big build effect you know you don't tell anyone about what you're going through and then you may be taking action which is obviously seriously lethal or or dangerous rather than talking about it but also physical problems loneliness is worse for you than smoking 15 cigarettes a day a big meta study revealed recently Uh, loneliness is worse for you than being obese or drinking a lot so that's I never thought that would be true, but it shows you if you get if you get some mates, you can also <laughs> abuse your body. So there is an upside. You can sort of buy yourself some beers and some burgers if you have some mates. That, that's the positive. But um, that's I read that I was like, that's mad. That's because you wouldn't think it would have anything to do with your physical body, but it
0: does. Why is male loneliness unique then? How how come it's gendered in a way?
1: So it's the way male loneliness is gendered is is I suppose two things one is that kind of like I said they lack intimacy in their friendships so the people that they can go to and talk about a meaningful thing so for example the Movember Foundation a male mental health charity recent survey or recent study said one in three men have no close friends and then part of that same study was to ask that group of men how many people in your life could you talk to about something serious like a health problem, work problem, relationship problem, 50% said no one at all. So those sort of conversations, that sort of sense of someone really knowing you, and you really knowing them, men don't seem to have often that many of those friendships, relationships. But also, this was the other gendered thing, which I found most shocking, I think, is that when you get to the pinch points in life, so when men get bereaved, so, say their partner dies, they get divorced or they retire, that's when they have a lot worse mental and physical health outcomes than women because they are isolated. And the grimmest thing I looked at with this was something known as public health funerals. So public health funerals are basically when the, the council or the government uh, bury you because no one's there to do it for you. So maybe you've not got any money, but no one will kind of take on your state and bury you. No one shows up. Really sad. And this happens all the time in communities all over the world, America, UK. And men were three times more likely to have those funerals than women, even though women, if you look at the stats, are way more likely to live alone. So that's bonkers. That's a complete paradox. And I think that shows the level of isolation a lot of men get to when they do get a bit older. So that's probably the gender. Those are the two things that summarize it. Dude, that's wild. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. You
0: said uh, the important question is not whether men are lonelier than women, it's how are men lonely. And I think that that kind of reflects what you're talking about there, that it's not just the breadth of your connections. It's not how many people can you say all right to in the pub or at the season ticket seat that you've got at whatever football team that you support. It's to do with the actual function of friendships, like why we have them, what they're useful for, and a million shallow
1: ones, does that compensate for one really good and deep one? Well, I mean, that's interesting. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll get on to the work of a guy called Dr. Robin Dunbar later, who's kind of like known as the godfather of friendship research, research, evolutionary anthropologist. But one of the things that he looks at is introverts versus extroverts. So extroverts have a lot more friendships than introverts, but they tend to be a lot shallower. Introverts have less friends, but they tend to be closer. So personality type comes into it. And I suppose there's no right answer to this. Like loneliness is not an objective measure. It's subjective. It's about do you feel your friendships are sufficient for you? And if you're really happy with your social life and you've got one friend, good luck to you. It doesn't really matter. But I suppose it's where are you happy with it? And I think blokes, if they're honest, a lot of the time, it's certainly true for me. We don't like to talk about it. I was really embarrassed, to be honest not have a best man and it took me a long time to talk about it and even now it's kind of like a bit of a double-edged sword I feel being the face of Billy no mates right <laughs> like I get introduced on things it's like he's a guy with no mates and I've done a lot of work on it but there's a lot of stigma to it so I think a lot of men won't confess to it
0: was it always like this you said since the 1970s what happened in
1: 1970 I mean it's, I mean this is a really good question so I mean, they, the, the honest answer is they started measuring it. So we don't know what happened pre 1970s. But so we can maybe get into maybe why this happens now. So it's, it's a, there's essentially three broad theories, maybe the third one, you could argue interact with the other two, the first one. And so when I got into this, I thought I'll go and talk to a load of psychologists, therapists, gender people and go, right, what's why is it going wrong for me? Why is it going wrong for men? And they would say, the kind of you've 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 all have guests on this podcast before said the same thing right the man box idea that we have restrictive gender norms that stop us having intimacy in our relationships whether it be i look a lot at banter in the group so like you know taking the piss out of each other that jazz of casual brutality that men have right which is great fun but maybe um maybe it stops it's a moat around us i remember i went I forced myself to go to therapy doing this book. And after four months, the therapist stopped and said, the thing is with you, Max, is you can talk about anything in a funny way or an intellectual way. But I think your friends get a feeling that if they go somewhere vulnerable, you won't be able to reciprocate. They get an aura that you're closed, that you're not open. Maybe that's why you've got no friends. And after like four months of being with someone, that was like a haymaker. That was like a Paddy the baddie <laughs> hook to the chin. I'm on the canvas, going like, okay, I can't really deny that. So there's something to it. But then on the flip side, we'll get to that later, maybe as well. Is that you know the banter is a form of intimacy. But it's this idea that we have these rules. Another one is affection. Like, wait I I thought. When have I ever told a male friend I like them? Let alone I love them? I mean, maybe after seven or eight beers, and we we maybe won't talk about that. So like, I often feel like male friendships are like a probationary period where you're not sure you really like each other is there going to be a job at the end of it so we kind of keep it at the same level um so these sort of basic rules to do with masculinity you'd say they're getting in the way the psychologists would argue but then to go back to your point chris about you said about what what happened in the 70s well one thing that happened in the 70s is we started talking about gender and now you cannot argue that it's not easier to be a man than it was in the 70s in terms of masculine roles. It's a lot looser. We can do we're much more ways of being a bloke than my dad has, right, who's turning 70 in October. But male friendships, the stats show, haven't got better. So it can't only be the gender stuff, which is when you get into the, kind of the second theory. Which is? Which is. that. So it's, We're now coming to Dr. Robin Dunbar. So Dr. Robin Dunbar, who's an amazing guy, he's got a book about friends. He's basically he came up with what's known as the social brain hypothesis, which is essentially this idea. Um, or he proved it, I think someone else came up with it, but he proved it, which is that there's a cognitive limit to the number of friends we can have as a human being. So this is 150. So this is what's become known as Dunbar's number, we can only have 150 friends. And within that number, there are different circles of friendship. So they go 515, 50 150. So you have five really close mates, maybe your parents are in there, girlfriend or, or a mate and etc, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But he said to me, the, the social world of men and women is really different. And it's not trendy to talk about it. But actually, if you look at it, it's really different. And to summarize it quickly, it can be represented like this. female friendships tend to be face to face, based around talk, there's a lot of emotional disclosure. Male friendships tend to be side by side, based around sharing space, sharing activities, often in groups. That's about style and it's about preference. And so fundamentally, uh, there's differences there. And that might be why male friendships are less close and why they may look different in terms of closeness compared to the female ones. And he also said that when it comes to our software, so the stuff in our brain, you talked about something called mentalizing. So mentalizing is essentially the ability to understand other people's mind states. So with you, Chris, I'm looking at you now. I'm hearing the tone of your voice. I'm reading your body language. I'm taking some contextual clues. I'm trying to read the room and work out what's an appropriate response here to stay in rapport, to build a relationship. That's all known as mentalizing. And if you they measure that in tasks known as Jack and Jill tests. I won't go into it too much, but women outperform men. Now, what is it? Tell us, I want to know. So Jack and Jill tests are essentially, um, they, they, this is how they test, I think, or, or often autism with children, where they've got Jack and Jill. Imagine there's two dolls. It's about orders of intentionality. So it's about working out. So Jack think this thinks this about Jill, but Jill's thinking this about so-and-so, who's thinking this about so-and-so. Can you follow those lies of intentionality? So, for example, in a conversation, what would that look like? I say something to you, which is a bit tatless, your girlfriend stood next to you going, bloody hell, that's a bit much. And her mum's there going, God, I hate Chris's mates, (laughs) right? Okay, so reading those kind of relationships all at once, which when we we see examples like that all the time, is what social socializing is, reading the room, reading each other, women are much better at it than men. And he said, they're they're better at it than men to the factor of they can handle two more close friends, than women can, or the men can, I should say. So women can have two more close friends than women in that inner circle of five. Now that's there's not much you can do about that. Change your gender, you can't change the. And that's software. biologically
0: hardwired in. That's some sort of predisposition
1: that men have and women have. Yeah, I mean we both have the mentalizing software, and we do it all the time. It's just men are not as good at, as good as it. I mean the classic example is. You know, you go and have, uh, you go out for pizza with your mate, and then you come back home and your girlfriend says, Oh, how's so and so? How's his baby? And you go, Well, I don't know. We talked about, you know, we talked about what's, how much broccoli is there in the world to the nearest square foot. We talked about that for an hour, right? <laughs> I didn't talk about his baby. But <laughs> so that's kind of like in microcosm. We see these things all the time, but when you kind of understand the mechanism behind it, you're like, Oh, right, that explains it. Dunbar did say, so I asked him, What's the balance between, you know, nature and nurture here? And he said that's a $64,000 question. We don't know the exact balance. But to say that it is all gender norms and it is all about psychology is just not true.
0: Did he have a potential explanation for how this would be adaptive?
1: Yeah. So... I I spoke to him and I spoke to another evolutionary anthropologist called Anna Mackin or an evolutionary psychologist. I believe she is. She's quite famous. She's got her own stuff out there, done a lot of research with Dunbar. And it goes back to what our friendship, our friendships used to be for. So if you can go back to, you know, thousands, thousands, thousands of years ago, women needed their friends to help them bring up children. So you can imagine you've got a baby. You'd want to really trust the person you left the baby with to go to the toilet or to go out the w- road to f- fetch a pail of water, whatever it is. You have to really, uh, I don't understand a lot about <laughs> primordial man and woman, but um, you, you'd, you'd want to really know them deeply and vice versa. And you would want to feel it was reciprocal, whereas the, the men would would have to form... Uh, groups to go and fight to go and hunt they'd have to have friendships that were maybe a bit shallower because you'd be working with new people all the time you couldn't get too emotionally attached because they might die i mean that that was the adaptive argument mm. right um and different evolutionary anthropologists have different kind of versions of that same thing essentially men have evolved to work incredibly well in groups and to have those build build uh support within those groups so status hierarchies handling that which is one reason why they argue men are more aggressive, whereas women have evolved to be they call them dyads, basically pairs, have really close bonds there. So that's kind of that's the argument about where it's come from and why it's adaptive. Would also potentially explain why
0: women use emotional and social punishment and sort of backstabby gossip talk as their form of
1: enforcement within the group as well. Yeah, exactly. So I I read, like a meta study about aggressiveness and male aggressiveness is very out there, you know, you punch people you, but it's much more passive, like you say, with women much more around um, sort of relational aggression. Um, I read a really interesting study by someone called Joyce Benenson, who's an evolutionary psychologist from Harvard. She's great. She's in all sorts of interesting stuff. But she did something about roommates. So at US colleges, male and female roommates. So women share with women, men share with men. But how many of those in second year chose to live with each other? Uh, Almost none of the women would live with each other. They'd all go, I can't stand this person. And then the men, even though they do study, you know, questionnaires going, what don't you or do you or don't you like about this person? The men would go like, he stinks. He's always coming in drunk. His clothes are everywhere. He's a real pain in the ass. Do you want to live with him next year? Yeah, why not? Right. That's, so that shows you have like there's kind of the tolerance there. And I've read a Dutch study that that was kind of that same thing. And the title of it was "I don't like you, but who cares?" And I just thought it was quite an interesting like study of the male dynamic. Included. Did you
0: did you see? I think it was Dunbar that did this. I got I stole this from Rob Henderson. Uh, yeah. That women when they're standing talking to each other will stand straight on at whether whatever you want to call it, like 180 degrees or zero degrees or whatever. They're going to be yeah. completely opposite. Whereas men usually stand at about 120 degrees. And you can do yeah. this the next time that you're looking at a party or a group of people, or even yourself as a guy or as yeah. a girl, you can look at the guys and you'll find that they sort of just angle themselves ever so slightly. And I, I remembered that study as I was stood talking to a friend and looked down at our feet, and I swear to God, if I'd drawn a line between them, if I'd got my protractor out, I'd have been like, <laughs> that's hundred. That's pretty much bang on 120 degrees. And the argument there was that men, when they are face-to-face with each other, that's typically because they're ready to fight. There's right. a, an increased level of um, intimacy and aggression there, uh, whereas with women, the, that the, there's no uh, concern.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's... I completely buy that. And also, I mean, when I said face to face and side by side, I mean, that's, and we're basically talking about the same thing there. I mean, very similar dynamic. I think a lot of people go like, might say, well, so what with this stuff? And I think it's really important for two reasons. Maybe it's the second one in a second. The first one is that if you don't accept that men have a different social style or have different social preferences, you can't do too much about male loneliness and male mental health. Here's two examples men's groups are really effective for men. Maybe more than therapists, because therapists, you're face to face, a lot of eye contact, really intense chat. Some people can do this, some people can't. Men's groups are in circles, you're shoulder to shoulder, and it's a lot more indirect. And I think men prefer that. They, 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 I mean, like you say, I mean, it might be the angle of the body, the lack of eye contact, the lack of intensity. And one of the most successful interventions in male loneliness in the whole world is a thing known as Men sheds. It came out of Australia. And essentially what was happening in Australia is the local government were putting on all these things like for for lonely old people, like coffee mornings and stuff, and men would never show up. And then eventually some bawdy Aussie guy went, no wonder no one's coming. You know, no, men don't want to go to a coffee morning, right? So he said, build a shed. So they put a shed up so men would show up and build stuff, fix stuff together. Matt was rammed every week and they'd come out with friends and they call it health by stealth because it would. The conversation would come up. You talk about your prostate while you were fixing a pepper grinder, right? And it works. And I, I maybe it's too phallic the, the the pepper grinder and prostate. I just I just depends realized, if you know. do.
0: It depends if you do that weird double twisty thing. <laughs> the girl, yeah. the girls with
1: experience know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um but i went to one and they say shoulder to shoulder is the key to male bonding in men's sheds and it's absolutely you, you see them and you can't stop men talking in men's sheds they go they're wang on and people say men don't talk they do mm. if you set the context up but you only set the context up if you don't treat men like they're exactly the same as women and that's important
0: what do you think are the uh ways in which Men and male mental health is being treated like female mental health. What what is female mental health, and what are the ways that that tries to be fixed that have then been ported across onto men?
1: I think I think it's how it's diagnosed. I should say I'm not a, I'm not a mental health professional, so I'm just talking about some of the research I've read and my own personal experience. So there's this theory called tend befriend which a lot of psychologists are really behind. This is not some esoteric piece of nonsense that I've plucked out of thin air. You can Google it. There's lots of evidence for it. It's essentially how the different genders deal with stress and upset. Women tend to tend and befriend. They get really upset. They suffer a trauma. They seek people out. They want comfort. They want to talk about it. Men tend to do the opposite. They tend to withdraw or they tend to act out. and They, get, they drink a lot. They do drugs. They fight. So I think often we maybe men don't understand they're having mental health problems, or we don't understand men are having it because they're doing things that don't look like depression. They're not crying. They're not on people's shoulder. They're not low energy. They're just not there. Like um, my, uh, they, they won't hear this. I can say it. A, fr- a friend of my parents is like incredibly obese, and it's so obese that he's had his basically most of his stomach removed, and he lost all his weight. And then his wife has left him, and I saw him the other day, and he's put all—he's huge again. He's basically eaten through his stomach. And my parents and their friends were like, oh, you know, that's classic so-and-so. You know, he's a bit of a character, loves his food. I'm like, that's, not, that's mental illness. That, he's depressed. He is depressed. And until you see that, this guy isn't going to get any help. But it's because he doesn't look depressed, because he's not doing what we would – if you've got people to write down on a postcard, what is depression – They go crying, uh, eyes on the floor, you know, all all kind of all the body language and the, but but it's different for guys. And I think it's important that we understand that because otherwise we can't spot it.
0: I had a guy on the show called Adam Lane Smith, who's a psychotherapist working out of the Midwest. And he was talking about how male depression gets treated like female depression, that female depression is being made to feel like somebody hears you, like you belong, like you're cared for. But Mm -hmm. he had this quote and he said, uh, give a man a purpose and the ability to achieve it, and he'll crawl over broken glass with a smile. And the problem is that when you get men in and you make them feel seen and like they're safe and stuff like that, a lot of the time, that I, I don't think that that's necessarily what men want. They want somebody that will sit and listen for sure, but most of the stuff that you've come up with so far, the shallow friendships that men have that are bonded together over the top of tasks... Like, they're in a yeah. the inner shed. It's literally a workplace.
1: Yeah. It's a doing thing. It's absolutely a doing thing. I mean, that's if it was a sentence, it would be that. It's a doing thing. And also, the men's shed, to go back to that and to come, connect it to men needing a purpose, what the men's shed is, it doesn't talk about loneliness on the ticket, uh, what it is. It doesn't talk about health. None of that crap. It's come to the shed, make stuff, fix stuff, be with your mates. But also, they're building, they're part of a community. They build the shed together. It's like, it's it's bootstrapped, it's blokes come together. What can we do? It's and it is that purpose. You're part of something. You're not just you're fixing stuff, doing stuff, but you you are part of something. And that's one reason which attracts people. Men need a reason to get together. And it is the pretense of the shed that solves the problem. But you need men need the pretense. You've got to give them one. Um, but also, even if you're not of that age or you're not depressed. I mean, if I ring up a mate and say, Do you want to meet up? They'll go, uh. What, yeah what why <laughs> but if i say do you want to meet up and watch the football they'll go yeah yeah i watch the football yeah yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a reason or yeah I'll play poker or whatever it is so that the, there is definitely something to this stuff and i think the thing i haven't connected it with purpose until with this conversation but i think that is a big part of it what was the
0: third potential reason that linked together the first two um
1: so I mentioned, I'm going to come to that. I mentioned the second thing that Dunbar said, and it was about what maintains friendships over time and its activities, building the habitats of friendships, uh, spaces where friendships happen. We have a lot of those when we're kids, when we're at college, if you go to college, as you get a bit older, they disappear. And those activities, if you want to maintain friendships, you have got to build, rebuild them or keep them going, those routines, those rituals. But to so come back to the thing you just asked me, what do they need? They need time. So the third theory is that a big turning point in the social world of men and also of women but it, as i said it's worse for men is turning 30 getting into a serious relationship often get having a family a lot of people career gets more intense you lose a lot of time and there's one thing that friendships need it's time especially if you're a guy and they're based around sharing activities because it's not have a chinwag on the phone it's get together play around a round of golf it's whatever and that takes more time and if you think about as the world, has, I, I would argue the world has got less friendly to friendship because we've got a lot of calls on our time. Uh, there's a thing, uh, there's uh, you know a lot more content, Netflix, whatever you want to do, a lot more on social media. With t- the, the stats suggest, the research suggests we're taking that away from our friendships. There's all sorts of ways the world is less friendly to friendship. Uh, a big one is third spaces. So a third space is... A space that isn't work and isn't your home right and there used to be tons of them when you're you know 50s 60s 70s 80s whether it's a church it's a gym it's a coffee shop it's a, uh you know a, a park we used to hang out in these places we'd meet new people there. they're a place where we could maintain relationships meet new people they don't exist anymore they've really kind of gone down the toilet for for for, for in a lot of communities you either live miles away from you work you you live miles away from you, socialize. I know I don't live in America, but I know in America that's often you're driving long distances to go and socialize in places, certainly true in the UK. So that's that's kind of the third argument. And the context, whether it be um, the places you meet or the amount of time available, it just makes friendships a lot
0: harder. Does that explain why time with friends peaks at 18 years old,
1: that routinized thing? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, that's... That's a really interesting study that I, I quote in the book, but I have it in the end notes. I think the the re- resource. So I mean, I'm, so it's time with friends peaks at 18, then it then it's time with your girlfriend. I think takes over, or time at work, and then it's time with your family. Yeah. So so by the way, I should say that this isn't all bad news. So spending a lot more time with your spouse or with your family is something that men wouldn't do in the 70s, 80s, but they, so they had the kind a ton of, of working argue, men's clubs to go to and <laughs> other stuff like that. Yeah. So you could argue that's that is moving things forward. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely connected, connected to that.
0: Are there some common elements of masculinity that you found in terms of how people perceive men, what a man is, what he's supposed to stand for?
1: Common elements. Like uh, um, the,
0: in the way that masculinity shows up. Like, what If someone was asked, what is a man or what is a masculine man, was there any common elements that you saw there?
1: Yeah, I think it's about uh, a a lot of the things we'll be familiar with. It's about winning, not showing weakness, not being seen as being intellectually inferior, um, sexually inferior, career inferior, strength inferior. I think that's when it's connected to humour. A big thing about masculinity is men are meant to be funny. Not all men are funny, but like it'd be you do not want to be the guy that's known as not funny like or do you know what I mean like we really attach a lot of importance to being humorous so that's a big thing I think that connects to friendships and how we do in how we show up in them um, and I think loyalty is a big thing but then we can get into this idea maybe about is is intimacy between men does is it simply different so this is maybe the more provocative question that I kind of got to which is I'll keep on being told that men have a friendship problem They've got no one to talk to about all this stuff. But then when you actually ask men, define what closeness means. Tell me what a close friend is. They don't talk about feelings. They talk about other stuff. And they may be, maybe men's friendships aren't represented in the modern conversation because we're measuring the wrong thing. How so? Well, for example... Um, a lot, when you ask uh, men about friendships, a lot of them talk about comfort. So that I'm really comfortable with my friend, right? We don't talk about a lot of stuff, but I just I know he's there. It's it's, it's not a it's not it's not complicated. It's just we can hang out. It doesn't feel weird. Uh, I feel really relaxed around them. They talk a lot in, in moral terms, men about friendship, which is shit hits the fan. I know my mate's going to be there on my doorstep. Someone has a go at me, they're going to be on my side. They're super loyal. Um, this is resilient, This friendship. So they talk about it in those terms. We also talk about a lot in terms of um, like forgiveness. And I think this is connected to like, we talked about banter earlier, that what that kind of taking the piss out of each other. This can endure. It's like the power of forgiveness. The example I give in the book is, um, you know, those phone ads where they kind of smash a phone with a hammer, they throw it in the sea, they set it on fire. Then it's like the phone still works. I think men for a lot of close friends for men are like, I can do that with my mate metaphorically and they'll still be my mate. And that's what closeness is. And then also shared adventure used to be a big part of like the iconography of male friendships. You think about war movies, you think about, um, when I looked at the friendships I really missed in my life, it was that shared adventure, that shared sense of mission, purpose, kind of locked in that time of life. And we were doing really difficult things together that we loved. Those are what I missed. That for me was close friendship. And it was shown in behavior, not in talk, it was in what we did. So do men need intimacy then,
0: or do they need something else? Is is the word intimacy, is an intimate friendship for a man something that's different to the word intimate and what we usually think about that when we think about
1: friendships? I mean, that's a great question because I think the semantics are important here. I think what intimacy means to men is different. And and I think when we look at close friendships, we need to understand that 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 exists and we shouldn't ignore it and we should count it or notice it and not look down on it. But then we men also, and we know this from the mental health stats, men do need more areas to talk about certain things. They don't need hundreds of people they can do it to. But I think it goes to the tools thing, right? The toolbox. Have I got enough people and enough skills or the vocabulary to have these conversations when I need them? So I actually looked at, I get to at the end of the book going like, when I'm a bit older, I'm 34, I'm having more conversations now with mates, which are about bigger stuff. Like, you know, a mate who had a, you know, a nervous breakdown last summer, a mate who's, you know, lost a, lost a baby. Those conversations you don't have in your 20s often because your life is simpler. So you have to have those chops. But I also really want the friendships that are like those other, like the shared adventure ones we just mentioned. So I think you need both. But you're right. That word intimacy can fall in both directions. I think it gets confused.
0: I think as well the word intimacy and, and and thinking about an intimate friendship. I think you mentioned it in the show that a lot of guys are just kind of keen to not come across as gay. Like they just don't want to be seen as gay. You know, it's one of the reasons I think why men standing face to face. It's gonna be it's like, what you're gonna kiss me? Like how many times would <laughs> would your mate have said that if you stood a little bit too close? It's like fucking hell, mate. I'm not gonna snog you. Yeah. But and so I do think that there is a little bit of yeah. I don't know whether it would be
1: fear of, of coming across in that way. Yeah, definitely. But I think it also gets into your bones and then we forget how it's got in there. At my school, everything you did you'd be called a gaylord, whatever it was. I haven't heard that word in a decade. I'm gay. gay lord.
0: I'm it's
1: gay lord fan, actually maybe let's not. American listeners, I don't know if you've got Gaylord. Maybe um <laughs> <laughs> gay lord <laughs> fuck oh god short, I, that is hair. you're a gay lord short hair you're a gay lord you speak french what a gay lord Mate, there, was a,
0: there was a there was a gay lord there's a story i heard where um some guy some like kid in school some it was year 8 or year 9 so a 12 or 13 years old or something And this kid had come in with new shoes and one of the days <laughs> everybody had identified the fact like oh new shoes he was called New Shoes for the rest of school. I mean, everybody had gotten a pair of New Shoes in the period that he was called New Shoes, but that was him. And he's just... <laughs> <laughs> like...
1: <laughs> yeah. I spoke to a friend who, um, he's, he's like... Yeah, he, a friend and his dad went to an old school reunion and it was all like, they're all like 65, they're all old school reunion, they're all boys school. And the guy walked in, and everyone starts hitting the table going, Worm, 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 Worm. Because so This guy had a small dick and was known as Worm at school. Even at 65, 200 people screaming Worm at him. I mean, imagine that. I don't, and does that happen at all girls' schools? I don't know. I don't think it does. Like, men have these brutal nicknames, and that is kind of like shows the dynamic, right? Yeah, fucking hell. But yeah, I
0: think the banter thing's an interesting one because. I, I, as I was reading the book and, and and thinking about reflecting on male friendships and the stuff that I've learned, especially this year, had a conversation with Nina Power about masculinity. Had a conversation mm-hmm. with Louise Perry about the sexual revolution, Matt Rudd about men's mental health. Yeah, and I think this is not just a men a male problem. I think this is a British problem. I think mm-hmm. that there is a an anglicized problem to this that we're talking about and I've only been able to notice it since I've come over to America so the relationship that I have and this may be self-selecting because I'm in Austin the sort of people that come to Austin are a very particular type of people blah 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 but since I've been in America the general culture is much more uplifting it is a lot more about celebrating other people's successes it is significantly more open and attuned if you text one of your friends and say fucking hell man I'm having a I'm having a bad day it's like look I'll, tonight I'll make, what do you want to do? What should we do? Where do you want to go? Let's do something. We'll do something cool. And that, I, I, the sense that you have in the UK, and it's difficult if someone isn't from the UK to kind of highlight it, but there's, it's a kind of a scarcity mindset. It's a bit mm-hmm. of a, a zero-sum game. There's always a bit of piss-taking. There's a huge no-no around celebrating your wins because it's seen as being a bit of a gobshite or being big-headed or yeah. whatever. And there's just constantly this below the surface ambient level of kind of like stress in a way of of not not yeah. showing off too much that everybody's on the on the cusp to try and find some way to take the piss out of you and i find that when i go back to the uk that i slip more toward that style of behavior and yet when i come out here it's not so i do think that this is at least in part, something that's played into by British culture specifically as
1: well. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, for example, one thing I talk about in the book is that I, I'm really uncomfortable with hugs. Like, I, I hate it. Like, that kind of repressed, like, absorbed faux homophobia from school, maybe. Just I'm in like, case like, someone con- sees
0: you hugging and calls you a gay lord.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or call myself a gay lord. Yeah. It's like, where's that come from, that voice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's but then i think that kind of repression of a of a of, a, of emotion if you, if you compare that to say french guys kiss each other on the cheek i spoke to an argentinian dude called fernando de Souches who said uh, argentinian men kiss each other all the time it's very physically tactile he runs a, an agency in the uk called new macho and what they're trying to do is change how men are represented in marketing um so they're trying to re, rebrand links which used to be spray more get more when i was growing up when i was a boy i think now it's something else, a bit more inclusive, it's called acts in the States. But he did some cross cultural study into masculinity, and it is different in different places. But what they had in common was that masculinity was a was performed right. And you perform it depending on the context So there's certain things that are masculine in some areas that are different in other areas. But it's the performance. I think what I realized was, I didn't think I did perform my masculinity. And I went to a party with my girlfriend when I was when I just confessed having this friendship problem. And she saw me with the male guys, and she was like, "Do you realise what you're like with men? You're like completely different. You become this kind of belligerent, um, you know, chest is out, abrasive, loud, slightly cruel, but it's all bants. You kind of do that thing. And i, I realised, yeah, I do put a performance on, and the masculinity was not just in me; it was between us, right? So I think it's really interesting when you when you say you go to Austin and you become sli- a slightly different version of Chris, and you come back to the UK." You switch into that. That mask comes back on again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I realized this looking back at my very lengthy time as a club promoter in the UK. And I realized that for a big, big chunk of time, what I thought was being a party lad and the life of the party was actually me lubricating my own social anxiety with Mm. alcohol so, what I was doing was, I was pretty uncomfortable around other people for the most part because I didn't have a massive amount of stuff to say to them. And this is something for young people, if you are, especially in the UK, young people spend their time socializing in nightclubs. You go out Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night between the ages of 20 and 25. That's what you do, that's how you spend yeah. your time for the most part. Very few people that do that are actually meant to be there. The reason that you go there is because it's what everybody else does. So it's just just this big mimetic game. And I didn't have a massive amount of stuff to talk to people about. So I remember looking and dude, I ran a thousand club nights, right? I I was the guy on the front door, the one that every single person in the city knew. And I remember standing in nightclubs and looking at other people laughing and joking and talking about stuff or seeming to talk about stuff. But it's a club, right? So it's super loud. And I always remember thinking, why is it that they've got so much to talk about when I don't really know what mm. what I should be talking about? And what I realized was that they were talking about, mate, this song's min, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> this song's min, isn't it? Like, And I, that just wasn't the level that I was at. That wasn't the sort of conversation yeah. that I had when I was in private. And what I would do is I'd drink that would m- make me into the simulacrum of the version of people that I thought that everybody else wanted. And I yeah. think that, the mask on that you put on with your friends and all the rest of it. A big chunk of that is finding people that you genuinely feel that you can be yourself around. I've got this. Ah, th- go, on, go ahead. Go. I've got a theory about introversion that most people aren't introverts. They're just around friends that are shit. Like most people are super extroverted when they're around mm. people that they adore having conversations with. But if you're not, the difference between being an introvert and being around people that you don't have anything to talk to with, yeah. is it, basically the same thing. Who wants to yeah. go out of the house if you've got fr- if the only people that you
1: have to talk to are ones that you have to be drunk to be around? Absolutely, I think I heard a couple of things. I can't remember who said it, but it said your good friends are someone who make um, your best self, make you feel that your best self is your true self, which I think is lovely. But also, without getting pretentious, Aristotle, who's like first wrote about friendships in ancient Greece. He basically said, what friendship is, is it's a mirror. So your great mates are like a mirror to you. And I think that's almost right. But who you're with, it's not just a plain mirror because it's shaped in their shape. So they'll reflect back what they want to reflect back. If they're boring, they'll find the bits in you that are boring. If they're bawdy or facile or dumb, they're going to find those bits in you. And you, when you spend time with those people, you go, oh, Maybe I'm not interesting. Maybe I am this lad because that's what they're seeing in me and that's what they're reflecting back to me. But it's it's entirely to do with the context and you go somewhere else. So actually, I went off being friends with men because a lot of my friends were kind of maybe similar to the vibe you're talking about in the clubs, right, were very kind of archetypally laddie, bawdy.
0: And there's nothing wrong with that, but
1: all the time, and I find when I found when I, when I was with women, I bring out a completely different side of myself and I'd be much more complex. I'd be much more fully myself and but discover I had a much more interesting, varied self. And I just thought maybe it is um, maybe it is a, a gender thing. But but then, like you say, if you find the right friends, doesn't matter their gender, then you can you can find something that isn't a performance. I think that the UK seems to be a lot more mimetic
0: generally. So Mm. that groups seem to meme each other more harshly and that that inevitably ends up shaving off all of the interesting and odd different edges from everybody until you kind of have an archetype of like the lad, right? The Larry Lagerlouty sort of dude that does the banter thing. But I think I, I genuinely think it's a case of continuing to lean into being yourself unapologetically as much as possible, which is hard if you don't have positive reinforcement, which is why finding someone that you can even... I remember the first ever guy that I lived with who made me feel comfortable around genuinely having intellectual interests. And I was maybe 23 or 24. And I'd watch documentaries about potential solutions to the Fermi paradox. And it is the great filter, the reason that we haven't ascended to a type two civilization on the Kardashev scale and stuff. And But oh. then I'd go to the nightclubs and would be like, all right, mate, how are you, mate? Yeah, fine, mate, whatever. Like that would be me who's got the bags. So I would have a, almost like a Bruce Wayne Batman thing, like a two lives going on. But then I lived with this guy who was like that pretty unapologetically because he didn't have the nightlife side to him. And I thought, oh shit, like I can actually be... I can have this curiosity and that can inhabit the personality that i am and um yeah i think it's a case of trying to find people that permit you to be more like the self that you want to be and the more that you lean into that you get positive reinforcement for being you and you no longer need to play this role that's always felt a bit sort of shallow and pointless and and icky and sort of and you you come home and you never really feel that good that was one of the big changes for myself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've written various bits of press for newspapers in the UK and then on the comment section. I normally have a look at the comment section, which is always a mixed bag, admittedly. But it's interesting when people come back and some people say, "Oh, I think friendship's overrated." That all my friends are dicks or yep. and I just think you've got the wrong friends. Correct. Like, friendship is massively massively cr- a creative force get the right friends, it makes you who you are and makes you a much better person. You find the wrong friends, it shrinks you. So again, but then you get maybe also the friends you deserve. You have to be invested, I think, in that journey as well. Like you, this guy you are mentioning here gave you permission to be that, but he couldn't have given you permission unless you had that in you and you were showing up and you had that curiosity.
0: Yeah, the first mover of where does the uh... – authentic self come from is kind of an interesting one, I suppose. You know, do people allow you to be more of you? How can you be more of you if you're not being you at all? But yeah, I uh what you you spoke there was this term in emotional labor? What's that? Yeah.
1: So emotional labor is um it was a term originally created by someone called Arlie Horshard he's a sociologist, and it was about work. So emotional labor is the emotional work that people in the service industry do. To do their job, so you go to a server who's having a shit day, but has a huge grin on her face, as she gives you your latte, even though she wants to stab you in the eyes, right? Or, or you know, the the person, the waitress on the on the airplane who's handing out nuts, and she's had it up to a up to her teeth with difficult passengers, but is smiling. That's emotional labor, but it's then grown to be this. Then it was became this feminist idea that it's the work women do to keep people's lives going. So it's they're buying uh, their husband's, um, uh, you know, dry cleaning, they are uh, fixing, you know, things in the supermarket, they're going, Oh, on Saturday, we're going for dinner with the chaltons or whatever it is, all that work of remembering and organizing people's lives. So they have a nice time that men don't notice um, and goes unpaid is emotional labor or mental load. But connected to this in the world of friendships, and relationships is this idea called kin keeping which is in families it's the women who hold the family together they organize the celebrations a similar idea to emotional labor they kind of organize the get-togethers keep people up to date with each other's news on the phone but then think about it in friendship groups often men will outsource that social work to their wife and girlfriend they treat the women in their lives like the hr department but if they were being honest they'd say you know this is um, Jane, and the director of people operations at Jeff Limited. That's for the conversations they'd have. And it is true in my life. I was I basically cuckolded my girlfriend's social group because it was easy, and I couldn't really be bothered, or I wasn't aware of the work that went into maintaining friendship groups. So, like connected to that third theory about time, women have the same time restrictions generally, yet they haven't got the same friendship problem as men. So I think this idea of emotional labour is massively part of it and is, is connected to how we hold relationships together.
0: Is there a problem with marriage? And d- does something happen when men get into marriages? Do they either settle in and believe that this is all I need to, or is there an issue with the Disneyfication of marriage that your wife should be the only thing that you need, some expectations going on here that restrict men's ability to have
1: friendships uh, post-marriage? Yeah, there's that's a massive, I think that's there's a lot in that. Um, So there's loads of people who have studied this stuff um, about the the role, the way marriage has changed in meaning it used to be that we didn't marry for love, we would marry for power or for resources. Uh, The idea that we'd marry for love is actually very modern incarnation didn't come into about the 1920s. So we've it's a pretty new idea. But now it is the absolute central thing. And people stand up at their weddings, get teary and say, I'm marrying my best friend today. And everyone goes, how lovely. And I suppose it is nice. But then you maybe have a problem where if you've got if you're with your best friend, why would you hang out with anybody else? So I think there is a cultural idea that your beloved should be everything to you, your emotional home, uh, your sexual home, your home for fun and leisure and uh, as well as the the parent you co-parent with that's a lot of pressure it also shrinks your life if you're not careful and, but then there's also part of it where maybe people buy into that and they don't like their spouse going off and having other friendships I think there's a lot to that as well but we are surrounded by this cultural idea that we should only want one massively important relationship and it should be in a romantic relationship
0: I saw another post from Rob Henderson that said social networks have a strong degree of gender homophily around 70% of women's personal social networks consist of women and around 70% of men's social networks consist of men with most, but not all of the cross gender members being family members over whom we have little choice. When two researchers asked a group of American adolescents to list their close friends from home and school, 72% were same sex. So Mm -hmm. I can see here just a game theoretic issue. If men are worse at making friends, and men have mostly male friends, that just that itself is the reason why men are struggling to make friends and hold on to them. That's it. You don't need anything else on top of that.
1: I mean, I've, that's. I, I wish we'd have this conversation before I published the book. I think that's a great, that's a really interesting. It's a really interesting theory. Um, yeah, I, I think. There's, there's a lot to it and there's a lot of stigma and we are uncomfortable about cross-sex friendships as well like i would i live with women for 10 years to two women and everyone is obsessed with the idea that we were banging or that if we weren't banging we had banged or will bang it was like no it's fine we won't and we haven't it's all cool but people are like no 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 you'll be banging i'd imagine like we <laughs> we can't get our head around it
0: yeah what what was that thing to do with uh was is there an expectation around best friends as well obviously you've got women who have a a social circle that's potentially uh more intimate than guys that have them distributed out i remember in school i used to be asked so who's your best friend as if yeah. that was some sort of an expectation and i always used to feel uh, the same way as you maybe with the best man thing oh well what if I don't have what if they don't feel like I'm their best friend but I feel like they're mine is that unrequited best friendness
1: <laughs> Yeah the hierarchy in friendship is really awkward but to go back to something Dunbar said he actually looked at this women will often report having a best friend and what's interesting I think is they'll often report being more intimate as in you know closer with their best friend than they are with their spouse whereas if you ask if that was there's not true of almost no men but men, when you ask them about best friends, they'll go, well, I can't really name one person, but it's Kev, Steve, Jono, Paul. Right? I pretty much name the Beatles there. But, um, you know, they'll say it's a, it's a group, right? Um, and it's more casual. But then <laughs> Dunbar said something interesting to me when I interviewed him. He said, because it's casual, when one person drops out of the group, it's like, all right, cheers, and see ya. And then someone else will fill in and it will become a different dynamic. And it's like out of sight, out of mind not not in an unpleasant way it's just like we've got this if you're over there i don't i'm not going to worry about you whereas with with women there's much more of an effort to maintain that and they'd really miss that because it's much more mm.
0: intense I, the bonding over doing things makes so much sense to me as a guy that's run a lot of different projects done businesses the sort of bond and this may be true for women as well but the sort of bond that i have with the guys that I've gone through fire and brimstone, trying to create a project or be on a sports team together or do whatever, is it's beyond friendship. You mm. know, there's even an upper bound on how friendly I can be with my friends that I haven't had shared suffering through trying to create something
1: that's worthwhile and difficult. You can't cheat that either. You have to do it, and um, I think this is coming to maybe. A su- Like connected to so much of what we said it's I call it in the book the vulnerability industrial complex now where everyone's meant to talk about their feelings and talk about be be very outward and and very um verbose with how they relate to somebody else whereas actually the 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 behavior will show you a lot more and you when you go through some something with someone they're being vulnerable because they're taking risks alongside you They're they're being sad, excited, um, angry. When you go through that with someone in complex environments or achieving difficult things, that is a form of vulnerability in itself that maybe, again, is not represented in a lot of conversations about vulnerability. And actually, Chris, when I looked at all these friendships, this was uh, without, I don't want to sound depressing, but friendship... Is such a confluence of you, the person and the context. And once you leave the context or you change or they change, sometimes you can never get that back. It lives in that moment, in that time. And it is so special and rare and just fucking amazing. I've got a chapter where about a guy who used to be in a double act with on the comedy circuit in the UK. And we came from being students to being professionals and it's like, wow, what a journey. And then when we stopped performing and we tried our own things career wise, we'd stop being so close. And then when we get back together now, we're mates, but I'm different. He's different. That context doesn't exist anymore. And you're like, oh wow. Um How and-
0: do you think how do you think people should feel about that? Should men feel wistful about that? Should they try and hold on to it?
1: I don't I've I've kind of wrestled with that. I think It is, you should. I mean, you will feel wistful about it, but in a sense, I suppose maybe a more positive framing of that is when you're having it, you should be just reflect and be grateful of it. I think often we don't realize the importance of friendship until they don't, they're not around anymore. We don't have it. And when I look back, I was obviously obsessed and reflecting on my friendships while writing the book. I was like, oh man, I really missed that. But in the moment, I didn't realize how rare it was to have that or how rare it was but it also in a positive way it shows you how it shows you that i have this line in the book i shouldn't quote myself sound like a complete wanker but i say that friendship is something that grows on you like a suntan right when you're doing something else and c.s lewis is a, he's, he's like a, an english writer obviously quite famous but he wrote a book about friendship himself and he says friendship needs to be about something so like the, the he says that the opening lines of friendship is Oh, you too. I thought it was just me. I'm paraphrasing that. But you know, that sense of being on a common journey, common mission, but friends look forward, they've got a spot on the horizon, they're moving towards, right? It's about something. And so I it's kind of the positive thing is, it doesn't happen great friendship when you're being timid with life, it is connected to attacking life. And it, it, it you ha- it's it's a side effect of doing interesting, cool things. If you want to go out and get more friends, I'm not sure that's the best approach go out and get a life and do do cool stuff you're into people will be there alongside you side by side let's fucking go
0: dude i love that i love that so much and it is it, it, there's an action there's a vector to friendship especially amongst men you know how are you and this person going through something together and that makes you know look at me bro signcing my way through adaptive explanations for friendship but you and the people that you were closest to would bond together over the shared challenge of hunting, of collecting food, of ensuring that your tribe doesn't get killed by another group of people. Like, why do you think it is that football hooliganism is just so? Like, look at the way that these guys—they'll take a brick to the face for each other because they support the same
1: football team. I always think that about heist movies. You know, you know those classic—you know, those classic things you read sometimes It's like. The old gangsters get together at 70 years old. They've got enough money. They're not doing it for the cash. They're mad. They're going to get caught. They're going to get put in prison for the rest of their life. But they're not doing it for the diamonds. They're going to get the boys back together. One more job. Yeah. But it's the stakes. I mean, this is this is a thing you don't, uh, This again, without being too wistful, like the stakes of it, like the hooligans. I wouldn't want to be a hooligan, but I kind of see it. It's the kind of the risk of it, the stakes of it. Like replicate, you talk about hunting there, you know, if we screw this up, we're dead. That's more sort of warfare. But, you know, we're out and about. If we don't eat, we're going to die. Those stakes are connected to friendship. And maybe it's connecting to that thing you had about purpose. Mm. It's got to have some, some heft to it.
0: The problem that you have with that is that it makes friendships sound transactional. It makes them sound mm-hmm. like friendships of convenience. Like the only reason that you have a sense of belonging or attachment to somebody else is because they can do something for you that they're useful in a way it sounds like using somebody i think and there is a romanticization around not just the disneyfication of relationships but also the same of friendships too that people are supposed to be friends purely because there's kind of this soul to soul bond between you and somebody else but it there are rarely that there is a very small number of friends that i have held on to throughout my entire life that i've been able to maintain that deep level of of connection with without there being something that we're working toward
1: yeah um so to quote aristotle again he said there's basically three sorts of friendship one is that friends that are useful to each other so the transactional thing so maybe we work together so in an office i think it's slightly different to some of these bigger kind of journeys we've been mentioning that second is we're friends because um it's pleasurable so like you know i i think you're great fun i'm great fun we have a great time hanging out But the third one, is kind of harder to translate, but it's about goodness. I'm with you because I see virtue in you and I really appreciate the virtue. So you can be not nice to be with sometimes or you're not necessarily useful to me. But maybe I really admire um, your courage or I really admire your wisdom or the fact that you are kind and that we don't have loads of friends in our life where we can say, I just think this person is such a good human being and makes me a better human being. But then those also endure beyond context. So like a lot of this stuff is like they've worked it out years ago. But maybe, like you say, we've narrowed down what we think a friend is. Disneyfication is a nice way of putting it. But again, it comes down to celebrating that, that when you've got it, be yeah. really grateful for it.
0: Think about this might be a more modern way that people put it, that they say, I just think that they're a really good influence on me. You know, I like myself when I'm around them. That's yeah. that, that sense that you are a better version of you or you see in them things that you would like to be like. You know, the training partner that always seems to gas you up a little bit more and you go, yeah, like, I want to be around that guy. I don't want to be around the training partner that's always making me feel down in the dumps when I went to go and train with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got a friend called uh, Philippa who whenever I'm with her, if we go, see, we're in a room together, go to a party or something, I watch her work the room and I'm like, she's just setting this room on fire. She's amazingly kind of, Uh, kind, outgoing, interested, like listening the shit out of people. And I'm like, what, what, what I'm looking like, what a good person. Mm. So that, but that is, I don't work with her. I don't see her all the time. She's not useful to me. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say you're completely unuseful to me, but you know, it is, it is exactly that she makes me better, but also I kind of aspire to kind of absorb her qualities.
0: What do you think about the modern manosphere? Do you think the, that is helping men at the moment?
1: so it's an interesting one so i think if social media and, and including manosphere within that is a bridge into real connection as in your meeting and having experiences together i think it can be positive i i think it is a bit of a symptom of isolation more broadly that it exists and you get in those groups Often they get stuck in a vortex, an echo chamber, getting more and more extreme. And there is a a shared purpose in extremity. So a lot of these people are uh, attached to their often mad ideological beliefs because they are part of something. And these are boys and men in their bedrooms who don't have a social group, but they find it online. And to depart from some of these very eccentric views, is to lose that i think it's intimately connected to loneliness is it positive i think it depends on the sort of messages they're finding there a lot of people I mean, you mentioned jordan peterson earlier i mean i know you you're you're friendly with him i've, I've never met uh, jordan peterson but uh, if you find some messages for him and go take responsibility for your life and find a lot of positivity in that great if you find some other folks on that world who are giving you less positive messages and maybe entrench you in that isolation, obviously less positive. But there's lots of research that your online relationships are not as effective in terms of your well being as face-to-face ones. And there's not really a way around that. I'm not saying you should only have face to face friendships, but you do need to get out of the house.
0: Yeah. I, I have a mixed feelings about the Manosphere a proto idea that I've got about it is that this is first wave manosphere work. In the same right. way as you had first wave feminism. And then each time that it kind of falls, well, actually, probably no, it, it. it's second wave manosphere. So I'd have said that the first wave was uh, 2006 to 2014, 17. So mm-hmm. that would have been your, uh, the game Neil Strauss. It would have been Tucker Max with I Hope There's a Beer in Hell. It would have been very much around pickup artistry and game and yeah. negging and neuro linguistic programming. That sort of fell away because society basically decided that that was, a bit much mate and then what came back around were very similar sort of talking points but now under the guise of red pill black pill alpha beta sigma uh mig tau incels like simping only fans that was the language that got used and i think that we're moving toward the tail end of that now as well because as mm. soon as any movement can become uh, memed as soon as you can caricature a movement, it's kind of becoming a piss take of itself, and I yeah. think that you're seeing a lot of that kind of space. People are starting to break off and try and find like holistic uh, men's work or holistic self improvement or organic, like they're trying to do something that that moves it on a little bit more. Um, but there's certain elements, dudes. I, I had this lady Nama Cates on who. Done some research into the incel and black pill forums. And she basically said, I didn't know this, but that if you're in one of these um incel chats, that if you were to say that you had any positive interaction with a woman that day, that you would be very seriously ostracized or maybe even kicked out of the group. And I was like, Oh, like if you if you got a girl's phone number at Starbucks, and she was like, No, 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 no. Like if the Starbucks server if her eyes lingered at you for more than half a second, because what that is giving to the group is an undue sense of hope what people are bound together by there is we're all in this together this is the shared purpose and what's called ascending so ascending up out of the black pill incel world to somebody that may be one of the normies that's actually able to have sex that that gives it creates a delta between where all of the people in the group are and what they could be. And it's almost like, look, if nobody has hope, then there's no pain to feel that delta between what we could be and what we're not. And as you see other people rise up, that creates that compulsion and that pain in you. So what they're actually optimizing for in these groups is for people to never actually try to ascend. They're never trying to do anything which would pull them out. And the shared suffering is seen as a badge of loyalty. That's Mm. the fealty, that's the flag
1: that you're waving. It's so wild. Yeah, I mean, that's there's also what, what's, what's interesting about that is it's so there's so many instances in history where that is kind of happened, where, where groups of people in difficult circumstances have been swept up in ideology and, and want and, and want to get lost with it. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's hard to overcome, that, not it? Because it's sort of that ideological, not ideological, that sort of primal urge to have brotherhood or have connection. But then, you know, then maybe plays into the dynamics of of memes and of, of social networks online and, and algorithms and things. I mean, it's it's potent. It's really interesting. It'd be interesting to know what the next step of the manosphere looks like. I actually, to give a positive, maybe it's not out and out manosphere. I've got a bit in the book where I spent a day with a guy in Ipswich who lives with twenty six lifestyle sex dolls, and uh, they're all around his house. And you think this guy would be really, really weird, but he's got two grown-up kids. He's been married, and he kind of he made me banana bread when I was there. We had a cup of tea. I hope he washed his hands. <laughs> oh, <laughs> actually, I did see, it did taste slightly <laughs> soapy. Um, and um, yeah, and he, I said, so talk to me about this. And he takes photos of them. He's got his own studio. And that connects him to the doll community, and they don't like calling them sex dolls because they think it demeans what it is. They call it's the doll community, and through his interactions and his work with these dolls, he's made an online community, and actually, it's quite tasteful. It's not about sex. Does he occasionally use the dolls in that way? I'd imagine he does. Good luck to him. (laughs) But Godspeed, sir. (laughs) But it wasn't about that. And actually, if you look into the doll world, it's really interesting. I spoke to someone who spoke to real doll who make um, sex dolls, and they're making, I could, the name skips my mind now, but the, the, the world's first sex robot. And when they ask customers, what do you want in this? They're not talking about self-lubricating vaginas and gyrating nipples and all that stuff. They're saying, oh, we want it to be able to have memory for affectionate responses. We want it to be able to have conversations. They're actually wanting it to be about human connection. And my point with this is that this stuff that seems a bit off-putting, that seems a bit weird, that seems of uh, guys who have maybe lost the plot, they can use these communities and it, as bridges into something more positive. And I think it's important not to – we have to have a complex and nuanced look at this stuff as well as calling out the stuff that's terrible. And the idea of Manosphere – 3.0 yeah maybe we it could be a lot more positive
0: in terms of applied stuff then what's the prescription
1: uh the prescription i think is three things one is so, so i asked dr robin dunbar so if you give me one piece of advice what would it be and he said join a club so there's a lot of homophily in gender in friendships you're mainly friends with your own sex as you've pointed out already but we're, we tend to be friends with people who are like us so if you're struggling with friends Join a place where there's lots of people like you. So if something you're into, join a club and you'll be in that community in those self-fulfilling loops. Um, I spoke to someone up the road the other day, CrossFit gym, they've made loads of friends there. Whatever it is for you, improv, theatre, whatever it is. And men need these uh, activities. But I would say as you get older, be intentional. You have to do the work. You have to be deliberate with it. Do not rely on spontaneity, the miracle of diary sinking. So that's the first thing. The second thing is connected to this emotional labour point which is I, I spoke to someone with amazing friendships, a guy, and I said, why, what's going on? He said, well, my mates call me the Sherpa. The Sherpa is in those guys in Nepal who carry everything up the mountain for the rest of their buddies. And he said, they call me the Sherpa because I organize everything. But they said, if you didn't organize everything, Mark, we'd never meet up. And I just thought, what a brilliant, simple phrase. Be the Sherpa in your relationships. Be the one who texts. Be the one who organises, even when it's hard. Don't leave it to your girlfriend. Don't leave it to the other guys. And You just look at each other across the ether in this holding pattern. Be the Sherpa. And then finally, expand your toolbox a little bit. So we've kind of coming back right to the start here. Have you got different ways of showing up in relationships? I think this has been a great example of it, this conversation. Some of it has been going, asking direct, provocative questions. Some of it's been banter. Some of it's been openness and vulnerability I mean, that's a great example. It's different tools to have different outcomes. Are you sh- have you got enough different ways of showing up? And then the three, so then those are the three things. But then if you're going to have a sentence, it would be show up when you're asked to show up. I'd stop showing up. I lost my friends. Go first when you're not asked to show up. And finally, keep going, even when it's hard, because sometimes your mates are going to be shit because they're blokes. But <laughs> that, in a nutshell, is the solution.
0: Max, I love it, man. I really appreciate the work that you've done. I think being open and vulnerable about this sort of stuff is, is, it, it is a difficult stage to go in. And that line at the very, very beginning, you know, the difference between opening up and manning up, that is the one that everyone's trying to walk. So I appreciate you. I really, really do. People want to check out the stuff that
1: you do and follow you online. Where should they go? uh dot is my website. I'm on Twitter at Max Dickens. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well. well. I don't really use it very much, so maybe find me on Twitter, guys. Um, Amazing. Yeah, be, say hello, dude. I appreciate you.
0: Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much for tuning in. I really enjoy. Max's insights around why men are struggling to connect. I know that guys don't want to feel that way, and I know that girls don't want to be in relationships with guys that feel that way either, so it is a problem that everybody needs to try and help fix. Also, while you are listening, don't forget that you might not be subscribed, and that is not a good situation to be in because you'll miss upcoming episodes. So head to the podcast app that you've got, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever, and press the follow button on Spotify or the little plus in the top right-hand corner on Apple Podcasts. A thank you. Also, don't forget you can receive the Whoop 4.0 for free and get your first month for free by going to join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. You can get a 10% discount on all of Optimal Carnivore's products from Amazon by going to amazon.com slash optimalcarnivore using the code WISDOMSAVE10 at checkout. And you can get an 83% discount, three months free, and a 30-day money-back guarantee from Surfshark by going to surfshark.deals slash Modern Wisdom. I'll see you next time.